0: Have a seat, have seat, a, seat, seat, Do I dare? There we go. Is that my back? Back, we'll see. That was fun. 20 years and I'm still pulling, pulling out, out, new, out stuff. new stuff, right? Sig <laughs> will fix it. How are we doing? We're back now? Try it now? Well, I'll tell you, I, thanks for this 20-year celebration. I, I just want to thank you for taking a chance on a 12-year-old 20 years ago <laughs> and letting him become... While we're working out the kinks, I do want to do... Jake did an announcement. I'm going to do one, too. I would really encourage you to come and be a part of that Guatemala walk, run around the track. Uh, today's the day to sign up. A lot of you are saying, well, aren't we sending a team? Aren't we fundraising... This particular event is to raise money for the new children's home that's been opened. It's it's a specific amount that's going directly to that. And I would encourage you to come and just walk that day, cheer people on. Uh, I'm going to try to run the whole 5K. We'll just see. It's by faith, right? I'm going to do that. But I would sign up today and make sure um, you're a part of that and come cheer people on even if you don't want to walk or run. I also want to introduce, I want to ask Theodore Martin to come up. Come on up, Theodore. Theodore is our new custodian we've hired on staff. So uh, he said, if you complained about the way it looked, he's going to tell you to talk to me, but I'm going to tell you to talk to him. (laughs) Uh, Amy served us for six years really well, and Theodore has accepted this position. We're really excited to have him part of our staff team. And uh, I've known Theodore for 17 or so years. Yeah. Yeah. And it's been exciting. When he's in Hope, he's here. He's lived everywhere over that period of time, but we are excited. I just wanted to welcome him to the staff. Do you want to say anything? Can you um, echo, echo? Echo, echo. Yeah. I don't have a mic for you, but... Uh. Um, I'd just like to say it's, it's an honor to uh,
1: work in this house and clean it, and uh, I've been trying to do this for a long time. I just didn't know I'd do it as a janitor, <laughs> <laughs> but,
0: but I'm, I feel very honored to be here and, and to uh, be part of this church and, and, and the congregation here. That's all I have to say. Yeah, and he even roped Mary, his wife, in yesterday. They were here working. I, I said, how much is he paying you? And she said, he's not. But she.
1: <laughs>
0: <laughs> anyway, but we're, we're so thrilled to have you guys in the church and to have Theodore on the staff team. I just want to pray for him as we continue. God, I thank you for this gift. You've, you've worked timing out to bring uh, Theodore in a way to serve that uh, just allows him to express who he is, and we are excited to have him a part of our staff. Um, Thanks for the relationship he's had here over 17 years for the people that have invested in his life for for his investment in this church. And we just pray you'll continue to bless him and his efforts that everything we do can be done for the glory of God. Thank you for his care for this building. What a great gift you've given us to use as a resource for your kingdom. And we just pray that it would be used fully in a way that would honor and glorify you. Bless him as he does it. Bless him and Mary in their marriage and draw them closer to you each and every day. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thanks, Theodore. All right, we are in Judges chapter 14 today. Uh, We're focusing in on this section of Judges to look at the life of Samson. Uh, And and I've called, we're going to look at Samson for four weeks and then Samuel for six. I've called the whole series, The People God Uses, uh, because (laughs) God uses really unique people. And it's good because I know some of you unique people, and I know some of me unique people. It's, it's encouraging for me to see the people God uses in Scripture. Uh, it can be a challenge. Often the perceptions, too, that we have of the people in the Bible are not quite what's actually there. Um, there was a movie a year ago, 2018, that was put out about Samson. I, I got the, the picture of the actual promotional... Have you got that picture, Reed? That was the movie. Doesn't that look like a movie about Samson, right? And so being the good, thorough, biblical researcher that I am, this week I watched that movie. And I'm going to show you a 26-second clip of the trailer. And, and don't worry, the guy at the end doesn't actually die. It cuts off with him holding a rock about to smash him. He doesn't actually do that. But here's the trailer, of 26 seconds of it anyway. He starts by his head kicks up, you know, in that typical Hollywood pose. And he says, "I am Samson." And then he stands up, and you didn't hear it because of the sound. But he says, "And I serve the living God," just like that. And then the big giant guy from Egypt tries to punch him, and he grabs his. Feet. You know, it's it's quite a dramatic. And the movie I watched the movie, um, and it's it's wow, it's actually good acting. It's quite a story. It's it's fascinating. The the battle scenes are really gripping. Uh, but other than the names of the characters. There's not much that relates to the actual story of Samson. You might be surprised that Hollywood would take a story from the Bible and change it. Um, and, and I wanted to make that point because if you've seen that movie, you need to go read the book because it's radically different. They make out Samson to be this holy man of God who's a bit conflicted, but who serves the living God and what we read today, you're going to find out that Samson is Mr. Reality TV. He's not the Hollywood star. He's a guy that's way more like somebody off Jersey Shore or a reality TV show. And that's what you're going to find in our text today. If I'm, I'm just going to read Judges 14 1 to 20, and then we'll talk a little bit about this servant of the living God. Chapter 14 of Judges, Samson went down to Timnah and saw there a young Philistine woman. And when he returned, he said to his father and mother, I have seen a Philistine woman in Timnah, now get her for me as my wife. And his father and mother replied, isn't there an acceptable woman among your relatives or among all our people? Must you go to the uncircumcised Philistines to get a wife? But Samson said to his father, get her for me, she's the right one for me. His parents did not know that this was from the Lord who was seeking an occasion to confront the Philistines for at that time they were ruling over Israel. And Samson went down to Timnah together with his father and mother and as they approached the vineyards of Timnah suddenly a young lion came roaring toward him and the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power so that he tore the lion apart with his bare hands as he might have torn a young goat. But he told neither his father nor his mother what he had done and then he went down and talked with the woman and he liked her. Sometime later, when he went back to marry her, he turned aside to look at the lion's carcass, and in it was a swarm of bees and some honey, which he scooped out with his hands and ate as he went along. And when he rejoined his parents, he gave them some, and they ate it too. But he did not tell them that he had taken the honey from the lion's carcass. Now his father and mother went down to see the woman, and Samson made a feast there, as was customary for bridegrooms. And when he appeared, he was given thirty companions. Let me tell you a riddle, Samson said to them. If you can give me the answer within the seven days of the feast, I will give you 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. If you can't tell me the answer, you must give me 30 linen garments and 30 sets of clothes. Tell us your riddle, they said. Let's hear it. And he replied out of the eater, something to eat, out of the strong, something sweet. And for three days, they could not give the answer. And on the fourth day, they said to Samson's wife, coax your husband into explaining the riddle for us, or we will burn you and your father's household to death. Did you invite us here to rob us? And then Samson's wife threw herself on him, sobbing, you hate me. You don't really love me. You've given my people a riddle, but you haven't told me the answer. I haven't even explained it to my father and mother, he replied. So why should I explain it to you? It's a wrong thing to say to your potential wife, let me tell you. She cried the whole seven days of the feast. So on the seventh day, he finally told her because she continued to press him. And she, in turn, explained the riddle to her people. And before sunset, on the seventh day, the men of the town said to him, What's sweeter than honey? And what's stronger than a lion? And Samson said to them, This is not as bad as it's going to sound, okay? If you had not plowed with my heifer, you would not have solved my riddle. I'll explain that in a minute. Because don't call your potential wife a heifer either. (laughs) Then the Spirit of the Lord came upon him in power, and he went down to Ashkelon. He struck down 30 of their men, stripped them of their belongings, and gave their clothes to those who had explained the riddle. Burning with anger, he went up to his father's house, and Samson's wife was given to the friend who had attended him at the wedding. Now you see what I mean by a reality TV show fits better than a hero. He has all the characteristics he would need to be a star. Number one, he is impulsive and demanding. He sees this young Philistine woman; um, she's never named. It seems to be a pattern. Remember last week, his mom wasn't. She's never named. But he goes to his parents and he demands that they get her as his wife. And they try to say, you know, really, what they try to say is, "Samson, why don't you just find a nice Jewish girl?" Remember, they're being ruled over by the Philistines but he will not be swayed. Get her for me. She's the right one for me because I always know what's best for me, like his current TV reality stars. So the three of them head down to Timnah, which is in the Philistine area located just south of where they live with the tribe of Dan. And an event happens that shows us another angle of our reality TV star, that he is powerful, but he's secretive. It appears from the story, it's a little hard to make it out, but you kind of have to make some assumptions. It appears as they're heading down to Timnah, maybe his mom and dad were resting for a bit and he wanders off, but he separates from his parents and heads into a vineyard. Now keep that detail in mind because we're going to come back to that. And while they're separate, a young lion comes roaring toward him. And while most of us in that situation would run away, the Spirit of the Lord comes upon him in power And he tore the lion apart with his bare hands. I love this next line. As he might have done a young goat. Can't you just, you know... (laughs) If you were attacked by a young goat, how many of you would just tear it apart with your hands, right? (laughs) Well, he did that to a lion. Quite impressive. I love that detail. The SPCA probably does not love that detail. But that's the story. This dramatic moment of the lion chasing him down in the vineyard and him ripping it apart and killing it. But... secret if he doesn't tell his parents i mean that's why i know they separated because if if you're walking all together and a lion challenges you and you rip the lion apart they probably would have seen that but he must have separated gone into the vineyard maybe while they were resting well i don't know what the story was and rips this lion apart it's a bit weird he didn't tell his parents how many of you if you were able to, to survive a lion attack would keep it a secret right he didn't even tell his parents And it was a tremendous moment, and one he remembered later, because when he actually goes back for the wedding feast, he's thinking, I wonder what's up with that lion carcass. And he walks back over it, and he finds a beehive, so he scoops out some honey, eats the honey, and then he gives some to his parents, but he doesn't tell them where he got it. He's keeping a secret again. On to another characteristic of a typical reality TV star. (laughs) He's no match for a woman. (laughs) Right? Right? He comes up with this, he gets married and he throws a feast, which is basically a seven-day wedding party. And it says he has companions or friends given to him, 30. I mean, typically the bridegroom would have companions, but he's coming into an area that's not not Jewish people, it's Philistines. And so they've given him 30 companions. Scholars tell me that the Hebrew wording there says it's more like 30 guys to keep an eye on this guy that can rip a lion apart. They're kind of keeping an eye on him. And he gives them a riddle. It's almost like he's playing them. He wants to be in charge. And he says, you know, you guess this riddle. I'll give you 30 sets of clothes and 30 linen garments. The linen garments would have been a big square of linen, very expensive. But you would have it and you would wrap it around like a robe or you could use it as a blanket. It was a very important thing to have. And 30 of them would have cost quite a bit of money. And he tells them, out of the eater, something to eat. Out of the strong, something sweet. It rhymes in English. Riddles didn't rhyme. Poetry didn't rhyme. In, in Hebrew, it, it repeats, it, it, it echoes words from the other line. But if you translate it literally, the, the NIV does a really good job. Literally, it would be, uh, from the eater out came eats, from the strong out came sweets. That would be a literal translation. And, and he's thinking, there's no way they're ever going to get that. I'm the only person that knows there's a lion with honey in it. I've not told anybody. But the companions are a bit like the mafia, right? They do a little shakedown in verse 15. They go to his wife, get the info, or we're going to burn you and your family and your house, right? The typical kind of... This is, this is the time of the judges, right? This is really a mafia shakedown is what it is. So from, at least from day four to seven, she's crying. You hate me. You can understand the dynamics going on there. And on day seven, he gives in to her. I don't want to go into too much detail, but typically in a marriage feast, day seven would be the time that the marriage is actually consummated. So you can kind of see Samson was motivated to, to settle his wife and make her happy. So he told her the riddle. And just before sunset that night, she's told them and they come and they say, what's sweeter than honey and what's stronger than a lion? See, he's, he's strong, he's powerful, he's, he's filled with the Spirit of God, but he's no match for this woman. And he replies with a proverb that looks really bad. Had you not plowed with my heifer, you wouldn't have solved my riddle. Now, he's not really calling his wife a heifer. This is a proverb in Hebrew that would have said, You broke the rules. Because a heifer is a young cow that hasn't had a calf, and no one would ever plow with a heifer. You wait until at least they've given birth, or you use a bull. You would use a cow or a bull, but you wouldn't plow with a heifer. So what he says is, you guys broke the rules. You plowed with my heifer. And that's how you figured it out. Well, I mean, how much does Samson care about the rules? He's telling them a riddle that they're never going to guess. Finally, we see that this reveals that he is angry and vengeful. He goes about 30 miles away to Ashkelon, another village. He kills 30 guys, takes their clothing, gives them to the 30 men, his 30 companions, and then he stomps off home before even finishing the wedding because his wife is given to another. He goes back to his dad's house. Now, I want to look a little deeper in this story. That's basically the story I read to you. You're like, Jeff, you just spent 10 minutes talking about what you read to us. We knew all that. But I want us to see, spend some time seeing beneath the surface because Samson is such this larger-than-life character, as evidenced by that movie I watched. his personality and his actions can often blind us to things that are going on. And there's some things that we miss if we don't slow down to look at him. And the first has to do with, with something I think that's kind of a cryptic reference of the writer to what's happening with the Jewish people. And that is that they're comfortable in a bad situation. They're comfortable in a bad situation. You remember that cycle of the judges where people would walk away from God, they'd be oppressed by another country, they would cry out for help, God would raise up a leader, and He would restore harmony. He would defeat the enemy. How that cycles over and over in Judges. But this time, we see there's nobody crying out for help. It's, it's a bit different there. And, and Samson says, I'm going I'm to marry one of them. I'm going to marry a Philistine. And, and even his parents, when they're protesting, their wording in Hebrew is more about she's just not Jewish. It's not about this is being unfaithful to Yahweh. It's about she's just not one of us. And the point is that they're in this situation being oppressed and ruled over by the, by the Philistines, but they're, they're comfortable. They're making the best of a bad situation. They're kind of sitting there. God's called this nation of people, the Jews, to be his representatives. And part of that was their distinctiveness. And yet they've come to this spot where they don't even cry out to God for help. They've kind of made peace with the situation as it is. God actually seems to be the only one that's concerned about it. He's the only one that's concerned. They're not crying out to him. Samson's not trying to fulfill anything. And, and even his parents, it almost seems like they've forgotten that Samson's role is to overthrow these Philistines. But God's concerned about it. Far too often the situation is the same with us. We get into this situation that is not what God has called us to. For some reason, a situation of compromise, a situation that we just we know this is not the best. We know this is not what God would have us to do. Sometimes it's nursing a grudge against somebody or unforgiving. Sometimes it's, it's, it's a habit that we've picked up, and we just we know, it's, but we just stay there. And, and what, it, what we see in this story is in that moment, even if we're not concerned about getting out, God is concerned. And sometimes, and this is a phrase I'm probably going to say again in this sermon, sometimes God blows up things to make them better, which is exactly his parents say, don't go marry that Philistine girl, but they didn't realize God was doing this to actually bring everything, he's going to explode the whole situation. Uh, this idea is further seen around this idea of Samson. We talked about last week, he was from birth a Nazarite. Was, he was consecrated to God. That was a vow people would take, but actually God made him a Nazarite from birth. And, and there's three things that they're supposed to do, right? Um, you, you don't eat anything or drink anything having to do with grapes. You don't touch any kind of dead body or go into a grave area or anything like that. And you don't cut your hair. Those are the vows of a Nazarite that they keep in order to show the world and to say very tangibly, I'm committed to God. Well, for Samson, these vows are vows that mean nothing, right? Think back to the story. Nothing from grapes, and where do we see him in the story? He heads right into the vineyard, doesn't he? He heads right into the vineyard, and and and, and it appears he slips away from his parents, and he doesn't tell them he killed a lion. Because where would he have to say he was? I'm in the vineyard. That's where I've gone to kill the lion. See, he's broken his vow already. He's, he's been there. At his wedding, in verse 10, it says, Samson makes a feast which was customary for a bridegroom. The Hebrew word for feast is mista. It's related, mista is related to the Hebrew word sata, which means to drink. And a mista. Really is. I mean, it's a feast. It's a party, but it's a feast that always has, well, not not has, that's saturated in alcohol. In our English words, we have a term kegger. Do you know what a kegger is? A kegger is a party with a keg of beer. Well, that's the best translation for a mista. A mista is a party that is going to have a lot of drinking in it, and Samson is the one throwing this party. Literally a drinking party for seven days. Obviously, the grapes, the, the the wine, that thing, that part of his vow, he doesn't really care about. This servant of the living God doesn't give a rip about these vows. What's the second vow? You can't touch a dead body. Hmm. Goes back to the vineyard to check it out on his second trip down, and there's the corpse of the lion. Now, I don't know about you, but most of the time, corpses of lions are dead bodies, right? And he reaches in to take honey out of it. Why do you think he didn't tell his parents where he got the honey? Because he's broken his vow. And when he's mad, and he has to find 30 30, uh, garments, what does he do? He kills 30 guys and takes their garments. How many of you think that he very carefully removed their garments without touching any dead bodies? Right Samson doesn't care about his vows, and they mean nothing to. it's obvious from the text they mean nothing to him, and so we think, well, God can't use him, right? Because if we don't do what we're supposed to do, God could never use us. You might want to think about that, right? Only when we do everything right does God use us? We'll come back to that, but we also need to notice the wedding that wasn't. This is the other thing under the surface, right? I kind of hinted at that. He throws this seven day. Alcohol-saturated feasts, but he never actually goes into his wife. It's clear that they're not actually married because even though the text says his wife, the, the father of the bride gave the wife to one of the friends. And actually that term is actually the best man. The end of the wedding, Samson's gone. Oh, well, sorry, Here, here's his best man. He will be your husband. And if you see next week in our text, verse 1 and 2 of 15, it, it expounds on that a bit. It's a convoluted mess, this story. It's, it's worse than any Jerry Springer show you've ever watched, right? It's the accident that happened and you covered your eyes and then you went like this. You just cannot look away because there's so much falling apart in the story. And what do you do with a story like this? Well, I, when I see this story, I tend to regroup and, and spend my mental energy focusing on the main character of the story, Right? That the main character of the story, we've said that last week, God is the main character of this book. It starts in the beginning, God. And that's, that's who I want us to look at. The Bible is a revelation of God. And even in a story like Samson's, we get glimpses of aspects into his character and his methods. You know, Sam, if I was to, I, just, I, I kind of mocked up a sermon. If I was to preach with Samson as the example, here's my application points. Number one, break your religious vows. This week, go out somewhere and break your vows. Number two, throw a drunk rager, because that's really that's what we want to learn from the life of Samson. Number three, try to gain stuff for yourself by manipulating and deceiving other people. That's the application of Samson's life. And when you don't get your way, kill 30 people to pay off your debts. And then finally, march off mad to home. That's, that's applying the life of Samson. So let's, let's move from Samson as a character to God, and look what we do see. I'll give you four things. Number one, one of the things I see about God is that God will accomplish His plans. Remember what He said to Samson's mom in last week's text in Judges thirteen five. He said to her, "You'll conceive and give birth to a son. No razor may be used on his head because the boy is to be a Nazarite, set apart to God from birth, and he will begin the deliverance of Israel from the hands of the Philistines." And we see that in verse four. They don't want him to marry this girl, but they don't realize God's starting the conflict that's going to end the oppression by the Philistines. See, the point I see here is, is that God, like I said, is not afraid to blow things up, to create havoc and destruction in order to get to what he knows is best for his people. You know, we often look at difficulty and hardship and struggle as a sign that God has checked out of the situation. Where are you, God? Why is this happening? And very often, that's the sign that God is actually doing something. I remember in my own life, there was a period of struggle after we moved to Canada. And I went for about a year and a half of seminary. And then I I, I just couldn't see pursuing it because I didn't want to go into debt. And I was working as a caretaker at an Anglican church. And then I was working as a a, a special ed aide in a school with a very, very difficult student. And I was, you can ask my wife, those were very hard years to live with me because I felt like nothing was going the way I wanted it to go. Everything was blown apart. It just didn't work what I thought God had called me to. It wasn't making sense. But now as I look back, there are things that He took me through in that chaos that I'm still drawing from today. There are things I learned then that I needed to know that I couldn't have learned any other way had it not been a very, very dark and difficult time. And that... That ties into the second thing we see about God. He can and does use rebellious people. Hollywood makes Samson out to be some kind of conflicted hero. Uh, The text doesn't play the hero card as much as he's the guy who can't seem to do anything right other than wipe people out. Yet God can and does use the losers. He uses the rebellious people. There's a, a great story in... 2 Kings 14, about a king, Jeroboam. This is what it says about him. In the 15th year of Amaziah, son of Joash, king of Judah, Jeroboam, son of Jehoash, king of Israel, became king in Samaria. This is Jeroboam. He did evil in the eyes of the Lord and did not turn away from any of the sins of Jeroboam, son of Nebat, which he had caused Israel to commit. The Lord had seen how bitterly everyone in Israel, whether slave or free, was suffering, and there was no one to help them. And since the Lord had not said he would blot out the name of Israel from under heaven... He saved them by the hand of Jeroboam, son of Jehoash. Didn't have much to work with. This Jeroboam guy was a real, he, he was off base, but God used him to save the people. Now, I don't know about you, but that gives hope to me because I can identify with people who make mistakes. I can identify with people who rebel against what God wants. And he can use me even when I blow it. But, but if that's true, then the question is, why, why if God's going to do what God's going to do, why do I even need to try then? What is the benefit of our faithfulness? If God's just going to accomplish what God wants to do, why should I try? Why should I surrender? Why, should, why shouldn't I just do what I want and let God do what He wants? What does it matter if we obey and surrender or if we disobey and rebel? And that's one of the points I think you need to see in the book of Judges that the movie of Samson really hides See, God has a plan. He will accomplish His plan. But the benefit of our surrender to God is faithfulness. And faithfulness is not to make the plan come about, but because surrender is what's actually good for us. I think most of the time we don't even really get what's in our best interest. We think we know what would be best for us. And that's one of the reasons we refuse to surrender. But surrender is actually for our good. It's like... I've said this a lot of times here, but it's like we make God out to be this... this he's made these rules that we have to keep, and, and if we don't keep them, he gets angry, it hurts his ego, it upsets him, and so we get punished, and he's, he's trying to make us keep these rules. And it's, it's this image of this... Have you ever had a child say to you, grown-ups get to do whatever they want? When I'm a grown-up, I'm going to do whatever I want. Right? And, and, and they're rebelling against the fact that you've put parameters, but what the child doesn't understand is those parameters are not because I'm ego-driven and I have to make you do what I want you to do. These parameters are to keep you safe, healthy. I saw a great little commercial for Kissimmee, Florida. It's, a, it's about a minute, but it, it gives you this idea of this kid. Do you want to show that? Have you got that? Oh, no sound again. Forget it. Forget it. Basically, about 40 times, he says... You can do If you if come, come to, to continue. you can do whatever you want. You can do whatever you want. And it, 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 that, that's, the, that's way the way we are God sometimes with God. God. God, sets God sets down these things. Just say, why are, why are you controlling me? I want to do whatever I want. But see, the benefit of faithfulness is not so that God will accomplish His plan. It's not like we're the link in the chain that's going to make everything happen. The benefit of faithfulness is for us. Samson could have lived differently. Samson could have surrendered to God's leadership and his life might have been radically different. As it was, he dies blind and vengeful. Miserable. You see, Jesus said in in Matthew 16 to his disciples, if anyone would come after me, he must deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever wants to save his life will lose it Whoever loses his life for me will find it. And you say, if, you know, if you really struggle to keep what you want, you're probably going to lose what you actually have. But if you let go of what you think is your life, I'll actually lead you to a place. That faithfulness will lead you to a place that is better for you. That's obedience. That's what faithfulness is for. And, and, and to see that, you have to come back to a reminder of God's heart. You know, we can lose it in these Old Testament texts. It seems so far from what we see in the life and teachings of Jesus. But we trace all of it back to the story in the Garden of Eden. God says, walk with me. I'm, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, you're my people. You're, he put Adam and Eve there to steward creation, to rule over creation, to be a, a witness to who he is. And why do they say? We're going to do it our way. We want to do it our way. And they took the fruit. <laughs> because we're going to do whatever we want. And, and still you see, as, as it goes down, 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 God is the one that cares. And he comes to a guy named Abram. It's not Abram seeking God. It's God seeking Abram. And he says, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you I will curse, and all peoples on the earth will be blessed through you. See, Abram and his descendants, the Jews, were to be a blessing to all the peoples of the earth. We know that came through Jesus, but we also know that that as followers of Jesus, we are incorporated into that tree. It says in Romans, we're grafted into this Jewish tree, and, and our role is to be a blessing to the... That's the heart of God, that He wants to bless the nations, and He's calling us to surrender in obedience and to follow because that's the purpose He wants to fulfill in and through us. You see, we talk about mission and committing to mission. Mission is sharing the good news of what God has done in my life in words and actions in a way that is a blessing to the people that you encounter. Grace Baptist Church, as we live out the mission here in hope the community should be blessed by the truth of the gospel here. That's that's the heart of God. That's why we need to surrender. I'll leave you with, with two questions, and then we'll pray and go eat soup. Am I willing to surrender to God's heart, to God's desire to bless the world, even if it costs me? Am I willing to to let that chain that started with Abram and came through Jesus and now lives in me to be a blessing to all the nations of the earth? And second, let's, let's think specifically, what are one or two ways that I can speak and live out that blessing this week? I want you to think about that, even write it down. What, what are one or two ways that I can be the blessing of God in my circle at work, in my circle at McDonald's coffee, whatever it may be, wherever you're in my circle at school, wherever you are, how can I surrender to Jesus and be a blessing to the people around me? Let's pray. God, we thank you for this guy, Samson. We thank you that he had to go through it and not us we also thank you that you will not stop in accomplishing your purpose, that one day all things will be made new, that heaven and earth will be restored, that we will be able to see you for who you are and then we'll be able to know you fully, that death will be be put away, that evil will be ended. We thank you for that. And we pray that that we would have the wisdom to surrender to your leading instead of the, the grasping like a child at what we want to do. And that as we surrender, we will be a blessing to the world around us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I was expecting a blindside right now, so I'll let you do that. I
1: would never do that yeah. to you. We just want to um, take a moment, say a few Is it on? words. Is it on? Is it on? Yes. That's your job. I don't want to echo. Okay. How's that? We just want to say a few words, you know, 20 years ago we were welcoming Jeff, this young man with three little girls, soon to be four.
0: Twelve years old.
1: Yeah, (laughs) well, I don't lie like you, so I'm just going to keep talking. But we knew Angela really well because she grew up in our church and we loved her and we'd been praying for her through her missionary stint in Mexico. And here she comes back, this young man we got to love and called to be our pastor. It's his first church, and um, you know, I think he entered with fear and trembling, but at the same time, excitement and enthusiasm. And um, we've had the privilege to work alongside Jeff, not just us as a board, but everybody. We, wor- we have worked as a church with Jeff, and you know, there's been hard times, and there's been really good times, and we just want to celebrate that today. What's very clear to me is the words in Ephesians where it says that God has given some to be, and I'm going to paraphrase this a bit. God has given Jeff to be our pastor to prepare us for works of service so the body of Christ may be built up in this place. And we're thankful for that. And you've led us into this new millennia, you know, we were, you remember the Y2K? That's... <laughs> That's when he came. Uh, You're welcome, (laughs) it's right. It's yes. Anyways, we do want to celebrate this and so you know what's been going on in the background. I'm gonna ask Dave Cameron to come up because well, he's got some things
2: to say about this gift. So come on up, Dave. Just a couple of points. Some of what I'll say some of you will know because you get our emails. If you aren't, if you aren't getting our okay, yes, okay. If you aren't getting our emails, then please let the office know, and uh, then you can hear things. Now, Jeff and Angela haven't been getting these emails. Um, secondly, you might say, "Why have I got notes for the few little things I'm going to say?" Because if I didn't have notes, then you will be here, and the soup will be cold. So I'm just going to. Follow my notes, so I will go quick. John has talked about the reason for the gift, and that's the most important, Jeff and Ange. But you are all part of this expression of thanks to the gift, so a brief bit of information. For 20 years of excellent ministry, we could have given Jeff a gold watch or a gold cell phone or something like that. <laughs> But we were selfish. We thought we would give him a trip to Israel. Probably most of you know that by now. And uh, he'll probably enjoy it. But it will be a huge educational experience. And guess what? We all benefit from that. (laughs) So, as the employee of the church, although we love Angela very much, Jeff is the one who gets the figurative gold cell phone, the trip to Israel. But they decided, and we all agree, that it would be wonderful to share the experience together. So they decided Angela will go and they will pay her portion. Now, I'm so excited about this because Marianne and I got to go about a year and a half ago And I kept thinking nearly every day I was there, I wish Jeff were here. He would appreciate it even more than I do and did. And uh, then we learned about a pastor's tour that takes place from, I think it's January 31st uh, to about February 14th, 2020, with the same leaders that we had and I just you can ask me later, or Jeff will tell us when he comes back, but I'll just mention the names of Bronwyn Spilsbury, Daryl Johnson from Regent from First Baptist, of Vancouver, and Yoshi, our fabulous Israeli guide who loved Jesus. I am sure he was very high on Jesus. so just uh, let me say that uh, we couldn't have hoped for better leadership, and we were so excited when this pastor's trip has exactly the same leaders. So now we've got some numbers to show you. Uh, so, Giles boys, if you can come up and... Show us some numbers. And are the numbers being held up there? And what do we see? Can someone read out the numbers? <laughs>
0: <laughs>
2: okay. Are we th- what? Read them out. Three, six, nine, seven. <laughs> Up. Something, something like that. Anyway, but you know what? That's, that's short of the special rate for pastors, which is $4,600. So maybe Angela is just going to have to go on her own. <laughs> But Kathleen says, no, no, that's, that's not right. Guys, could you try and change your numbers and see what you could tell us? How's that? What's that say? What do we got? Five? Do we have a five? And do we... <laughs> Okay, what we think we have is five, three, seven, nine. Well, that means Jeff can go and we can help Angela. But we've got to change again, don't we? Okay, you just flip yours right around there and. now these guys have done this on very short notice so thank you very much and so it should say what read it out six so Jeff and Angela that's what we are presenting you today but there are rumors there is more yet to come. <laughs> the whole church wants to bless you for the blessing that you have been to us. Wow. Thank you. Yeah. Sorry.
1: So I just want to I know you're all hungry, and we want to get this moving. I want to say grace. I also want to say thank you for Jeff. Um, And when we eat, there's a few people that want to say a few things about Jeff. So this isn't kind of one of those lunches where we get to talk a lot to each other. But we'll get everybody to get their soup first. And then if you can just stop talking. (laughs) It's almost impossible with a church group at a lunch. But anyways, you know what I mean. Jeff wants to say just... I've got this one. I just want to say thanks. We are (coughs) humble beyond your wouldn't believe. Um, And I I don't want to talk much because I'll
0: cry When I came here, I said,
1: uh, I, This is the
0: worst part of pastoring, is when I get emotional up here. Um, That's the best when part. When I came here, I said, God, I, I really only want to go to one place. I just want to stay in a town and, and get to know people. And um, that was my prayer the whole time. And I mean, I've, there's been times when I've wanted to pack up and leave, and there's been times when you probably wanted me to pack up and leave. And there's been times when other people have called and said, Hey, do you want to come here? And every time I have just felt like God says, stay here. And it's, I, I hope that what we've done has shaped you, because you have definitely
1: shaped us. Mm-hmm. And so thank you. Amen. Amen. <laughs> let's say a prayer. You need to know that he's still making us work, too. We had all the elders here all day yesterday working away. So he's not giving up on us. He's still working, and we're working together. So let's just pray for the coons and say thank you for the food father we just are so thankful for the way you have blessed jeff and angela and use them in our midst and father i just pray you continue to use them we want to celebrate 20 years but we also want to look forward and we just pray father that each of their girls would be blessed for the ministry that they have been able to be a part of here and i just pray father that you continue to help us as a church to work as a team alongside jeff to reach this community for the lord and so we go now to celebrate with the food and we just ask you to bless it and all the hands that prepared it we ask this in jesus name amen thank you